Well, good morning, Crosspoint family. Good morning. So great to see all of you. So good to be back in one service together. If you're joining us online, welcome. We're so excited to see you. Um, just what an honor and a privilege it is to be together, to worship the Lord, to, to hear the proclamation of his word, and to lift high the name of Jesus in worship. Let me pray before we begin. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. Thank you for sending your son to die on a cross, to rise from the dead, to forgive us our sins, and to give us eternal life. The mercy, the grace that you've shown us. Thank you, Lord. We pray for Pastor Rick now. Help him to speak boldly as he ought to speak. Help him not to fear man. Help him not to fear us, what we think of what he's going to say. God, help him only to fear you so that he can communicate what you want for us, Lord, what you want for this people. Help us to be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you give us the ears to hear Open our hearts, stir within us, convict us of sin, illuminate your word. And we just thank you that you're here, you're moving already, you're in our midst. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Father, Son, and 
That song was amazing. It actually is going to be a precursor for something we're going to sing in just a little bit. But what makes that song amazing, at least this rendition, was the harmony. The harmony. All those folks striking notes that made music. You know, we've been in 2 Corinthians for a bit now, but I'm going to delay its start for just one more week. You know, our country is broken. Our schools are confused. Our church is divided. God says that coming to faith means that You and I are new creations, and that everything changes. Our thinking changes, and our actions change, and our future changes. There's hope, and there's joy in those who are walking with God. Yet it feels very much that the church community is acting in thinking very much like our neighbors. You know, many feel lost and discouraged and hopeless and restricted. It feels like arrogance is growing and humility is waning. We fret and we love talking about politics, a virus, and injustice. Many fear the future more than they fear God. I am not saying that these issues or these topics are not important. I'm just wondering why they've consumed us, why we are so passionate about them, and why our mission has been quarantined. I know I just alienated some of you. And some of you online, you've probably turned us off already. But what I'm hoping is that you may stick with me. You may not think this message is going to be appropriate for you or that you even need it. But as your pastor, I think we are drifting. We're drifting. Not everybody, and not at all times, but, but we're drifting. And I think we need to hear from God today. I'm hoping to clearly define the church, and that you'll be encouraged to listen, to repent, and to be energized by God's life-giving word. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we recognize that you are so active. Lord, it's been so long since we have gathered at one service together. And even when we come, things are all mixed up today. The message is coming first, and where's the singing? And, and Lord, sometimes we're just discombobulated. But we come today to worship you and to, and to hear from you today. 
Nothing is confusing to you, but, but we are confused. You are in complete control, but we still worry. We lack faith in you, but Father, our desire is to trust you quicker and better and more fully. Our nation, our church, and our families feel splintered. And we ask that you would heal our nation and that you would start with us. In fact, Lord, this morning, I'd like to pray the way Jesus prayed right before he went to the cross in John 17. We pray that all of your followers would be united. Just as united as Jesus and God are. We pray that our unity would be a billboard to the world, pointing people to you and your church. We pray that you would unify our church and restore broken relationships in the church, in our church. We pray that our neighbors would know that we are God followers by the way we treat them and the way we talk about your church. We love you, and we thank you for everything. But especially, Father, for the gathering in your house and for all those who are spread all over our land. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. The church is not a building. We know that. It is a place certainly where the body gathers, but, but God has used different metaphors for us to help us understand what is the church? What's the purpose of the church? It's been, well, maligned recently. It's been looked down upon. And to be quite honest, The generation growing up right now, they don't want anything to do with it. So I invite you, let's start by reading from God's Word. If you would open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to start at verse 12, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, so you can follow up on the screen, look at your flat screens, or open up the book. Let's listen as 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 12, is read to us. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand. That does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. (laughs) 
The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you, together, are Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. Paul uses this metaphor to help us understand the diversity of the church and the value of community, unity, and harmony. It seems rather basic when we understand, well, when we talk about the body. But he shared with us in this letter, and uh, what I'd like to do is to be able to well, give you the main points of this passage. First of all, as you heard, every part is needed and valuable. There may be people in the church that think they're more important, or the opposite may be just as true. You know what? I'm just a little toe, and whoa, that's way not important. The truth is, is that Paul is sharing a principle that every part is needed. Every part is valuable. He also is saying that every part needs to listen to the head. Every part needs to be coordinated with the brain. Every part. Every part also is perfectly assigned by Creator God. There are times, again, we wish we had different gifts or we had different abilities or we had whatever. You know, there are times the thumb looks extremely attractive. <laughs> Not really, but, but there are times. And you wish you were a thumb instead of a little toe because little toe gets covered all the time. Little toe hardly shows. Little toe is little. You want the thumb. Yeah. All right. Another thing is that every part cares for other parts by compensating for the injury. When one part is hurt, all of a sudden, all the other parts baby it, shall we say. If you had surgery on your knee, <laughs> no matter what you want, no matter what you feel, you're not running a 100-yard dash the day after. You are hardly moving around. You are limping. You are using your arms to crutch you and, and all different things. Seems kind of normal. And lastly, we see that all parts experience joy or the pain of single parts. When something hurts, 
It doesn't matter. Your whole body responds to it. We all know what a stubbed toe looks like, right? And you're dancing around in the dark, and every part of your body is screaming. All that was was your little toe. What's the big deal? The big deal is, is like, I want to die. I know, it's a little bit of an exaggeration. But if a body part is bruised, broken, or missing, the whole body suffers. It affects our work, it affects our play, it affects our sleep, and usually sidelines us for a bit, and sometimes permanently. I started counting the surgeries I personally have had, and I've had 15 different surgeries to mend and repair, well, things that have gone awry. And I remember, well, just about all of them, and I remember really very clearly that it affected me every single time. I think our church has body parts that are missing. Now, now before you get too angry, I am not talking about Sunday mornings. I am so glad that you were able to come today. But I still know there's a good number of people that are not able to join us for all kinds of reasons. I am not talking about missing on a Sunday. I'm talking about missing from the body. You know, there are plenty of folks who come regularly who are not connected, not in community, not serving and not accountable. Together actually is pretty important in the Bible. Yet many of the folks in the church and in our church feel comfortable apart. Now, I know this is blunt, But can anyone really be arrogant enough to think that an arm will just do fine without the rest of the body? There it is. Right over there on the floor. Do your thing, arm. Stupid. No no one would... I, I mean... If for some reason you had an accident like that, I I mean, there would be great care. They'd put it in ice. They'd rush you to the hospital. They know that thing has so much time before you can put it back together, and maybe it won't even work at that moment. But they're going to do their best. Surgeons, nurses, and care, connecting everything back. Because arms are really important, along with everything else. But what's wrong with some of our thinking? Thinking like, well, I was once a part and functioning in the church. Hmm. I used my gift. But you know what? I don't need the church. The church doesn't need me. My needs are more important, and I can just function by myself right now. Now, I'm not talking again about seasons. I think there's often times 
where we need to separate ourselves or we need to have some alone time or we need to reignite. I get that. But I'm talking about doing life with one another. Now, I'm not so sure everyone picked up the handout called the one another's as you walked in. It was right next to the bulletins. And if you missed that, you can pick that up on your way out or, or take a few if you want to use them in your studies or, or whatever. But I, I got to tell you, there are almost 40 one another's mentioned in the Scripture. And from my understanding, you can never do a one another by yourself. You can't. The scriptures are so very, very, very clear that we are a body. We are a family. And that God, in his great wisdom, put right people together in right communities in order to thrive, to accomplish his mission, to accomplish whatever God has had for this church to do. You can go through this list. In fact, I almost just stayed on this list. And there's 40 of them, like I said, are, are just about me. Maybe it's one of these things you just take for devotions. Maybe you as whatever, walk through this. See what is important to God in the church. Not to necessarily beat you up. But to be able to say, hey, I'm missing out. I literally am missing out. I'm trying to do life. I'm trying to do ministry. I'm trying to have abundance all by myself. And to be honest, that's what our culture has been drilling in us the last four months, five months, six months. It just has. My heart is broken over the church. My heart is broken for this church because I think our faith, our service, our mission, it all feels to me like that's been put on quarantine. N not in every case, but so many cases. Our traditions or the way we used to do church or the way we used to give our offering or the way we, and we just kind of, you can, you can just put it in there. It seems to hamstrung us. It seems to impede us. Many are waiting for life and work and ministry to return back to normal. Let me just say something. What happened if it doesn't? What happened now if masks are part of our future forever? I'm just saying, what if? What if school? <laughs> what a nightmare, am I right? What? Just keep it. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't. But Maybe not returning back to normal will be good for the church. 
Now again, before I get a bunch of emails, let me see this. This will force us to depend upon God more. It will force us to pray more. In fact, I believe our corporate prayer time will grow greater and greater and greater because we see how dependent we are on God. I think we're going to have to be innovative. I think we're going to have to embrace change. Do again, we really think the Spirit of God can only work in or do work, well, the way we did it a year ago. We are losing or have lost passion for the lost and for making disciples. It feels to me like the very ones who have been part of the church the longest, who supposedly have walked with God for years, are the ones least concerned about discipling others and helping others grow so that they can disciple others. I ask the question often, and and you know when I hang with you, who are you discipling? Who, Who are you pouring into? Who are you helping? And there may be some really awesome, terrific, wonderful reasons you're not. But over and over and over again, the answer is no one. Now, my guess is that no one would ever, ever parent that way, bring a child into this world and just Hey, I hope they figure out how to eat. I hope they figure out how to dress. I hope they figure... (laughs) You don't do that. You let them live in your home, hopefully for 18 years. You pour into them. You teach them all about God. You teach them all about life. You teach them all about laundry. So that when they leave, they're not only productive, they're ready to have their own families and do their own thing. I think so many people are busy doing good things, but spending less time using their gift and investing in others. I would have personally thought that the chaos, this chaos would have shaken up believers in the church more. And I see it going a different direction. To me, crisis or hard times usually show the kinks in the armor and reveal what is critical for each one of us. The pandemic has revealed our priorities and shown us that the kingdom may not be the priority we think it really should be. Have you noticed, actually, how much time, extra time you had because the baseball season was delayed? (laughs) Now, am I against baseball? I'm not. But I just started thinking the other day. Baseball just came in and <laughs> maybe going out again real soon. That's what I'm reading anyway. But, but the truth is, all of a sudden, my interest is different. All of a sudden, I want to hear some games. All of a sudden, I want to spend. And it's not bad. 
But I just realized how much extra time I had without baseball. I love hearing how couples are praying together differently and more often. I've asked so many of you how life has changed since COVID. What are you doing differently? How is God growing you? And I'm loving that. I'm loving to hear how families are eating together. Literally. Couples are eating together. People are eating together. Rick, is that... Oh, yeah, it really is different. When one goes to this activity, another one goes to that activity, you're a taxi driver back and forth, and get some peanut butter and jelly, and hopefully you're all right. I love hearing how parents are being intentional in the spiritual development of their kids and not trusting our youth ministry or our wanna clubs. And do I think we need youth ministry? Absolutely. But you know what it's helped us see is, hey, if I'm going to help my kids grow in their relationship with God, I'm going to be their teacher. I'm not just going to have them flip on the tube or go to a screen. I'm going to have them and enjoy teaching them. I have loved watching Silver Birch Ranch respond. Some of you know my relationship with them. But weeks ago, when camps were closing like crazy, my brother got the staff together and says, how can we do this? How do we have to think outside the lines? We've got kids that need to hear Jesus, about Jesus. We've got lives that will be transformed if we get them up here. How do we do this? And they spent weeks figuring out how to do that so kids could hear good news and respond. And it's been work. I can't even believe all they know. But I'm telling you, every time I talk to my brother, Rick, do you realize what God's doing up here? Do you see the changes that are happening? All because when the majority of camps around are saying, this is too hard. No, no way. God, what do we do? As I talk, many who spend extra time on themselves, which actually is pretty normal during this when you're quarantined, right? But I just wonder, how many of you have taken inventory and I have spent your time over these last four months or five months? Because realistically, an unevaluated life, well changes little and makes little impact. It, it just does. I, I wonder again, how many use the extra time, the quarantine time, to grow in your relationship with God and help others grow? Talk to someone even earlier today and said, oh, Rick, it was so good. I went out camping and I just reconnected with God for three days. I just needed that for my soul. <laughs> yes! You did, and we do. I wonder how many have used that time to dig in the word deeper. Maybe to go through a book. Maybe take an online course that you've been waiting to take. I wonder how many have developed or refined their spiritual gift. Use that. Hey, how can I get better prepared so that, well, when things open up. We all receive stimulus checks. 
And some have desperately needed them. Yet, how many of us who didn't need the checks immediately thought of us rather than thinking that God may be giving us this money, this bonus, in order to bless others? Say, Rick, this is so unfair. It probably is if all these things are true. My my guess is not all of them are. But I keep asking questions about me personally, and I look at our church, and I keep asking questions of of the flock. And I think we're buying into our culture and not listening to God. In fact, I have found over the years, every time God gives me a little break, a little bit of calm, (laughs) he's never given me the quarantine time like this, but, but whatever, I realize this, is that he's preparing me for something that's coming up. And I can just selfishly kind of enjoy it or begin to shore up because I don't know what God's given me. I just don't. You know, Paul described the health of the church in Thessalonica. In fact, Paul didn't spend a lot of time in Thessalonica, but just a few weeks back, I was reading through First uh, Thessalonians. I was going to say First Thessalonica. No, First, uh, it's a book in the New Testament. Whoa, First Thessalonians. And I was in chapter 5. And I think Paul, even though he wasn't at this church for very long, he wanted to make sure that they were Wow, hitting on all eight cylinders. I'd like you to turn your Bibles, if you would, with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I'm going to start at verse 12. As Paul talks to his family, as as Paul talks to the family and shares with them things that, well, will be healthy in the church. It's interesting. First. Thessalonians chapter 5, starting at verse 12. Dear brothers and sisters, I I love that. He's going to say it twice in this passage. He said, hey, you guys are family. You're family. I just want to remind you of some things, man. Honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. Now, it's kind of hard to be able to preach about a passage and telling you guys how you're supposed to treat leaders, and I'm one of them. But this is God's word. And you can take me out of the picture because there are quite a few other leaders in our church. We have elders, and we have ministry directors, and we have other pastors. And what Paul is reminding the church is to say, hey, when you walk with God, when you do, you're going to honor the leadership. It's difficult. You know, um, one of the things that Nate asked me all the time, Nate is our chairman of the elders, and he asked me all the time, he says, how is the feedback? Are you getting any bad emails? And I just smile. How am I supposed to answer that one? You know? The truth is, it doesn't matter. 
No matter what decision is made here, someone just doesn't like it. Okay? And some of you, I think, have a mission to make sure that I know what's right. And you forget that we are a team here. I still love you. May not answer your email. <laughs> just kidding. I would always do that. But all I'm saying is, is that God put certain people in leadership. And we are to show them respect. That's what a healthy church does. And to love them. Love them. Thank God for them. And then he says, and live peaceably with each other. In the Beatitudes, uh, Jesus said this, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will inherit the kingdom. I don't think peace is easy. We know that peace between nations is not easy, but we also know that peace within a church is not easy. You would think that would be easy. Everyone loves Jesus. Let's hug. No. Let's socially distance and punch. I, I don't know what we do. But, but what we do is, hey, we offend others. We do it, hopefully, unintentionally. I remember sitting down with a couple this week, and I offended them tremendously this week. And I had to own that. And I had to work on making peace with them. And it was important. Because we do make mistakes. We do walk, and we need help in this. Then he says in verse 14, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Now, now some of us might look at that and, and literally just say, oh, yeah, okay, well, yeah, you know, quit sleeping until noon every day. No. What Paul is talking about here is warn those who are not involved. Warn those who are comfortable. Warn those who are not very passionate. Warn them. They will, along with us, stand before God someday. And we will be asked how we used our time, our talents, and our treasures. Warn, warn them, be active. So, well, I don't like anybody. That's the whole idea. That's why some of us have disconnected. That's why some of us aren't part of groups. That's why, because we don't want to be accountable. We like doing our own thing. We like being the arm over there on the floor. Encourage those who are timid. There are always people who, well, need a little boost. Their faith is weaker. We don't beat people up as a result. We walk with them. We pat them on the back. We say, go get them. Take tender care to those who are weak. Who are weak. Wow. You know, as soon as I read that, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 10, Romans 14 just jumped into my brain. It's the passage where Paul actually is talking about eating meat. Let me give you a quick scenario. But in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 10, and Romans 14, the early church was confused. There were so many people at that time being saved out of idolatry. And literally, 
the reason there were so many sacrifices being made to pagan gods and in pagan temples. And they would have the best of all the meats. And they would only take small portions of that meat. And so what would happen is, is that after these pagan sacrifices were made, the rest of the animal was brought to what you'd call the shambles or the meat market. And you would get the best steaks, the best chops, the best whatever right there, man. But there were some newer believers. And they didn't understand the freedom that Christians have. And they even thought that well, this has been offered to an idol. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with it. Like, man, I'm going to lose my salvation or something. When other believers, they knew very well, whoa, if I want a good steak, boom, I'm at the shambles. You know what Paul said? So weird. Think of what he said if you read these texts. He says, because I love my brother because this brother is weak or because this brother doesn't understand everything. I don't want to make the kingdom about food. In fact, I am willing not to eat meat anymore if it's going to offend somebody. <laughs> Are you kidding me, Paul? It wasn't about Paul. It was about caring much for those who are weaker. Then he says this, be patient with all those people that really like you. <laughs> be patient with everyone. See, when you walk with God, you have different perspective. It's not your job actually to change others. God's going to keep working. You're going to be able to be patient, treat them with dignity. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always, always underline, if you do that in your Bibles, that's a good thing, always try to do good to each other, those in the church, those in the church, and to all people. You see, you're going to stick out really well because we always are real, really good at doing good things for people that do good things for us. Or we do good things for people that they think that relationship can benefit us. How many of us literally do good things for someone that can't repay us? How many of us literally do good things for people that we actually don't even really like? But when Jesus lives in us, together as a church and as individuals, we will do things that look so odd to the culture. It continues. Always be joyful. It doesn't say happy. Always be joyful. Recognize God's in control. Look and recognize that God is going to bring himself glory through all of our circumstances. I think there's hope in there. Never stop praying. Why? <laughs> we just need to keep talking to God. We keep just chatting with God. This is so critical for the church, for individuals. 
as you're going to find out. Be thankful for all circumstances. I think right now, one of the greatest times in all of our life, especially if you have children at home, is to help them understand to say thank you for everything that happens because the scriptures say, this is God's will for you. So when you're disappointed about not going to graduation, what a bummer. And I mean that. Or how come I don't get to do this? Or why am I even going to be able to go to school in September? I don't know what situation. I don't know if you've been furloughed. I don't know if your job's been taken away. But when we have a king, when we're in community with one another, and we're going through tough times, you've got someone to put your arm, that puts your arm around you and reminds you that God's in it. God's going to work with you. God's there in the valley with you. And we need that. We really need it. And then in verse 19, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. And, and I'm going to close with that in a moment. So I'm going to come back to that. But, and do not scoff at prophecies. Prophecies is one of the words, again, that's so often misunderstood in the Scriptures because it really has two different meanings. Sometimes it's foretelling uh, uh, what's going to happen in the future, but most of the time it's forth-telling. It's preaching. It's hearing the Word of God. Don't scoff when you hear the Word of God. Don't poo-poo it. Don't think it's for someone else. When you hear God's word, don't scoff at it. Test it and hold on to what is good. And I guess that's what I'd like you to do with this message today, is to test it. I'm pretty sure we all don't fit in the same boat. I'm pretty sure not everything applies to every one of us. But i got to believe the Holy Spirit is so very, very active right now and is taking parts of his word and convicting each one of us. You know, I want to go back, as I said, to stifling the Holy Spirit. We've been in 2 Corinthians, and one of the things that we focused on is that God, in His amazing grace, when we come to faith, allows the Holy Spirit to live in each one of us. We have God living in us. So Paul says this, don't stifle, or in some of your versions, don't quench the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And the best way to even look at that is if there's a fire, you quench a fire by throwing water on it. So what is quenching or stifling the Spirit? Well, if the Spirit's ministry is to convict and to guide, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, we say, eh, I don't care. When the Holy Spirit guides us, we say, eh, I'm going my own way. Whoa. Isn't that something? that God wants us to experience life. He's given us the Holy Spirit to be able to say, hey, whoa, 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 don't click on that. Don't click on that. All right, that's not going to be helpful. Don't do that. 
hey, you know what? Maybe you need to go this route. Maybe you need to take this pathway. You say, yes, yes, yes. In Psalm 23, verse 2, the psalmist says that, that we, as we obey his um, pathway, as we listen, or actually it's, it's verse 3, that we bring honor to his name. As we walk in his ways, we bring honor to him. We need to listen. We need to respond. You see, he lives in us, which ought to make us stand out in this church and in the culture. When everybody else is ripping apart our leaders, and maybe justifiably, how do you talk about leaders in the government, school boards? Because I think if you're walking with God, you're going to talk differently. How do you respond to someone who offends you? Well, there's a couple different ways, but but as you, again, walk with God, he enables us to forgive and to encourage, even if we don't deserve it, and they don't deserve it. If we honestly can love others like Jesus loved others. You know, after 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, Paul starts off in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, and, and he's talking about the gifts, he's talking about the church, he's talking about all this, and he basically says this, let love be your highest goal. You're here to love people. Jesus himself answered the question, what's the greatest commandment? Well, first of all, I want you to love God, I want you to develop that relationship, because out of that relationship, it enables you to love your neighbor like yourself. Let me wrap up. We are here right now in Ingleside and surrounding areas for such a time as this. We are. God's allowed us to have breath today to be part of his church and to be part of community. We are to fear God and trust God. We will all stand before the Almighty God and be judged someday. We will. And how we used this time. This is an epic call. And I want to just say this, and it may sound really a little scary, but I think the church is at the crossroads. I do. I think it's critical right now that we walk with God because we're not going to have right answers without it. We're not going to have joy without it. We're going to have so pessimistic worldview, it will drive you crazy. If we embrace who we are, our actions toward others will change. We will be salt and light. Our family, this church in particular, will be known for our love, for our unity, and for our creativity and mission. 
Our family will be a community and do community. In fact, after a message like this, I think probably every one of us need to repent of something. I, I know I do. It's not me just up here just reading scripture. There's areas that God brings to mind that says, you know what, I, I need to confess that. That is one of the main reasons why we had the message first today. Yes, we're going to follow up with adoration of God, but part of that is going to be communion, a time to reflect and remember and repent. It will be a time to maybe let God talk to you personally about what he has talked to you about this morning. You know what my fear is? My fear is that you're going to leave the same person that you came today. That's my fear. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with folks across the table and ask God what he is convicting them of. What they're learning from God. And they tell me. And I follow up with the question, how are you doing on this? Well, I, I haven't done anything. We all do that at times. But folks, I think now is the time to listen to Jesus and follow him with all of our hearts. Before I pray, I'm going to leave one quick illustration. I know that beautiful music can be played anywhere if the mu musicians can read the music and follow the conductor. The church, both universal and the local church, can also produce beautiful music. If we are all reading the music and listening to the conductor. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for putting us on the planet at this time. I look over the years of my life and there have been easier years. But God, for some reason, this is all happening and you're going to use it to bring yourself glory. Thanks for letting us be part. Thanks for letting us join you. Thanks for allowing us to be part of your body. We pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. Let's stand together as we respond in worship. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. 
God, we 